Hello, friends, and welcome to the first episode of the Shibari Study Podcast. I'm your host, Wicked Red. The goal of this podcast is to get closer to the people in our scene and explore intersections that aren't possible to grasp from photos online. And with that said, we have two of the best guests a podcast host could ask for, Sin and Anton, the founders of Shibari Study. How are you two? Hi. Hi. Oh, nervous. Oh, can, can, can we swear on this? I think, well, yeah. let me ask I mean, with the founders I'll... of Shabari Study and see what they say. We're swearing on the podcast. Yeah, I think we can swear on the podcast. All shits aside, I'm a little bit nervous. This is the first, po- first podcast yeah. I'm ever doing. Oh my God. Well, look, you own the company. So I think that the bar is kind of like where you set it. You can do anything you want on this podcast. I love that. Otherwise, doing amazing, thriving. <laughs> How are you? Yes, I'm really good. I'm excited to to do this interview together and kind of like, I guess, dwell a bit on in the past because time goes so fast and things grow sometimes in a way that makes us forget how it started. So I'm actually excited that we're going to be talking a bit about like the whole project going back. I guess it does go back. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> so... Anton, I hear that in addition to Shabari study, you also DJ, correct? Do I DJ? No, I don't DJ. I'm really into music and photography. Well, don't I you do, make I, music, right? D- d- dibble and dabble. Uh, <laughs> I've got my record players right in front of us here. Um, but am I a DJ? I would never consider myself. They throw a stone here in Berlin, you can, you're sure to be hit a, hit a DJ. I thought you I, produced music for some reason. We, well, we have synths, and, and I do make music. But I'm I'm not a musician, no. Okay. <laughs> Would you consider it otherwise? Hell no, he's not a musician. Ah! No, he's not a musician. <laughs> well, everyone. I mean, no, he does like kind of semi-collect vinyls and gets very excited about like um like digging out like tracks and records and he will play once in a while, but it's just like for friends and just like at home. Yeah. Basically. When the after-hour moments start, that's... He's an after-hour DJ. Let's, exactly. Let's go with that. <laughs> there, there's a big difference. <laughs> well, I'm so sorry. I'm going to revise all the documents that I sent out. Anton is an after-hours DJ only. Sin, <laughs> <Yes. laughs> you talk a lot about daydreaming and manifesting throughout your life. Have you always been a dreamer? Uh, yes, definitely. I, I mean, I grew up as a single child in the middle of nowhere countryside. So I spent like most of my time with animals and just running around in nature. So I guess I kind of developed this very strong like inner inner world, but also like inner monologue. Um, And I, yeah, I always, I don't know. I think it's like a superpower and also an absolutely horrible thing, but I'm constantly like thinking about how things are and how they could be better. And, and I try whenever I can to turn this more like self, like, I don't want to say self harming, but almost like self harming, like intrusive thoughts. I try to turn them into like more like inspiring directions And rather than just like feel bad about what I think is missing or what I think is lacking or what I think is flawed, try to start picturing in my head a rough idea of what I would want. And then I found out that if you start doing this very consciously, it really helps actually manifesting a lot of things because it changes your, it changes the inner monologue and and it changes the way you act then out in the world, I guess. So, yes, I, I still do it. Do you remember the first time you changed that narrative in your head as a kid? Like, what was some of the first things that you did that with? Oof. Um, as a kid, I don't think I ever managed to do it. Um, like, as a kid, it was more just like this lonely self-talk and self-judgment. And it made me feel more isolated than anything else. Um, as a teenager, it got even worse. And I felt very alienated from pretty much everywhere and everyone. Um, But then growing up, I mean, I have to say, actually, it's going to sound like I'm making this up and it's super cliche. But one of the first times I started seeing like potential for my 
weirdness to become actually like a strength was really when I discovered Shibari. Um, and it kind of, I don't know, like all of a sudden, like finding this strange underground, you know, like activity with a bunch of super weirdos who seem to somehow have made a sort of big family together and people actually creating things from um, from a place of, I don't know, like, I don't know, I don't want to speak for others, but I feel like one of the, at least when I started over a decade ago, I felt like one of the big, like, common thing between all people involved in kink um, was this desire to kind of like channel the chaos and channel the pain and and make something positive out of like the violence that lived inside of them. Um, and this all of a sudden I felt like, Oof, okay, here's like a channel. There's like, you know, it felt like I all of a sudden, like, I was, like, drowning in this super agitated sea and feeling like I, I don't know how to swim this. And then all of a sudden, I felt this, like, undercurrent that, like, had a direction and I could even influence this direction. So I would say that the first time I felt like I can go in my head and build a fantasy that I can actually then act out in the real world. You've said that your mom kind of told you to go out and do stuff. When you came back, did you tell her that you found this community? Like, how did your family respond to that? So when my mom, like, I, I always had very, very open, like, very open relationship with her. Like, we were always very honest to each other. And uh, even the few, like, lies that I kind of fostered as a teenager, they, I always kind of came out to her, like, pretty soon afterwards. Um, so I never, like, I never lied to her about what Shibari is and the things that I liked about it. Um, like even at the time in the very, very beginning, I was doing like pretty hardcore stuff, actually very explicit. And I had a whole bunch of like pictures and videos published. Uh, you know, I was like 19, 20 and I had these, like, it was not exactly like porn, but it was definitely like very naked bondage with like pretty intense violence. Um, and she knew that, like she always said, I don't want to, I don't want to see those things. I don't want to see those images. If you have like nice, beautiful, more like arty stuff to show me, I would love to, but I don't want to see the hardcore shit. Um, but so to her, I never lied and she really knew. And I think first of all, like parenting me through teenagerhood, I think was like if she survived this as a parent and like managed to kind of stay out of my way and trust me that I'll land on my feet, like bondage for her was like extremely like easy and reassuring to yeah. deal with. <laughs> um, she was like, oh, okay. That's okay. like, that's not like direct, like self harm. So let's go with that. Sounds okay. Like it's also like a positive outlet. There's, it was hard for her to see it, but she could understand that I was doing something with my body. I was doing something with that involves like socializing and empowering myself. And I think she actually felt pretty good about this. And she saw that like my social life and my mental health and my like happy, my general happiness was improving. And that's all that mattered to her. And after like, I don't know, about six months or half a year of maybe half, I think half a year, yeah, a year or half a year, I don't know, pretty soon after I found Shibari and started like diving really hardcore into it. Um, I So I quit art school to start really traveling around and meeting people and doing this. And at some point I started feeling like really bad that I had like my mother paying my rent because I was supposed to study. And then I was not studying. I was just like going around getting tied up by a bunch of people. Um, so I talked with her and I was like, hey, listen, I'm going to find a job. And then I found this job in like a, like an, an outlet store um, that was like five days a week. And, you know, that's it, like all year round. And when I told her this, I was really proud to like be making the right decision. And she kind of like freaked out. She was like, no way, you cannot do this. Like, I know this is not for you and you're going to you're really going to go crazy with a life like this. And. Like, you're not going to be able to travel anymore for Shibari if you work five days a week. So how about, like, I support you for one more year 
And if you didn't find a way to become like finan like financially stable with this, then we'll talk about it again. But like, please give it a try. And that's like one of the most amazing things that she's ever done to me. It sounds like your mom really encouraged the entrepreneurial spirit. She encourages. I think if it if it if it shows itself as entrepreneurial spirit, then she will support this if she has the financial capacity to do it. Yeah. But she's really just generally someone who supports people when she feels like she's a very intuitive person, I think. She's a psychotherapist and, and she suffered a lot in her own life from not being able to like find herself and express herself. It came really late to her. And I think she's very sensitive to this in general when she feels that someone might have found what's their actual path and what's their talent or what will just make them happy and she can support this, she really wants to. Um, and in this case, it meant supporting like my, I mean, at the time it wasn't an entrepreneurial career. Like, I mean, 12 years ago, a 19 year old who's half, half a year into getting excited with bondage. Like when I told people, I think I can make a job out of this. Like everybody was laughing at me. Yeah. And people who were not into bondage were like, what the hell? This is just like a crazy phase and she's going to get like over it. And People who were into the bondage scene were like, I mean, there's like a handful of people all across the world who make a living only out of this. And they're all like old school, like old generation men who tie. Absolutely. So where do you think, like, where do you think you're going as a 19 year old, like bottom? I don't think she supported any entrepreneurial venture. She was just supporting her child. Like, That's that really beautiful. Just started to show you know, like signs of like happiness and excitement and passion. It sounds like everyone needs someone like your mom in their life. That's really amazing that you had her. Yes. She's really, I mean, I don't know. She's, she's, she's really incredible with My this. Mom is special. Yeah. Uh, she I will really, forever be indebted to her. Yeah. She, she really, everything. she really changed, like she changed my life at her, as her child, but I think Anton always speaks yeah. about her as like she really changed also his life by by then later when he stepped in supporting the entrepreneurial aspect of it. Um, and she's she's like really, she's really committed to help yes. in general. Yes. Anton, if you could summarize Sin's mom in one word, what would it be? The only feeling that comes up in, for, for me, the only word is gratitude. One wow. One word to, to summarize my mom. That's a hard one. Uh, she's beautiful. What is your origin story? Where did your spirit come from? Right? You're a dreamer as well. Mine. Yeah. Um, born and raised in Berlin. Uh, my dad's from Canada. Uh, my mom here from Berlin. And I, I don't know, like... Being raised in Berlin right after the wall came down, there were so many different influences, and it was a really, it was a really, really fun time. Uh, there was so much; it was such a new city, and there were so many niches that you can dibble and dabble in. And none of these, none of these scenes were very established, like in all of the other cities. So uh, anything you did, anything you were passionate for, you could find your community for it, and and really like climb the ladder very quickly there. You were in Paris, New York, or or London. All of these niches are so established since so many decades that it's impossible to reach as a nobody. Um, but that 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 I don't know that that freedom that that energy of of, of change really yeah. I think was really formative for me too. Yeah. And what niche were yeah. you exploring at that time? Whoa. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was, so we, I, we both have a turbulent past. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so let's, like, let's, let's start around the time that I met uh, Sin. Um, was, I was, I was, it, was, it was more of a, it was, I was traveling and partying. And, and trying to study. It took me, I, I, I graduated high school barely. Uh, but then it took me six years of traveling and, and doing, uh, doing God knows what. Um, until my mom was slowly beginning to worry to say the least and and then i was like okay mom look i'll i'll do something and then i i was I, I, introspectively i was i was reasoning what do i like what am i into 
and it was really just plants and insects, right? Um, I'm wow. I, much much like sin, I my my biggest talent. I'm not great at anything really, but what I can do is bring order to chaos. And I'm I see potential, and I'm really into like like ordering like people's talents and and, and technologies in order to, yeah. to making like systems. And I think that was that 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 was the perfect match. So sin brought the intention, the, the philosophy, the experience. And I brought the vision and also the need, to be honest, like Shibari's study as it is now was born out of the need to learn bondage, uh, which, yeah. Wow. We then, which we then did through Shibari's study. Yeah. And um, with the help of Mamo. <laughs> She's kind of like the third founding member of Shibari's study in a way. She's the only founding member. She's basically the only founding member. My goodness. Yeah. If it, if, if, yes, yes, yes. She's, she's the all-seeing godmother. Well, I know who I need to get on the podcast soon. Yes. <laughs> if you could actually, hook me up, that'd be great. She's actually like, uh, it just made me think that it's been a while that she's she's asking to be a model for one of her shooting. Like, she's never been tied. And she asked me a few times, she was like, you know what? Like, I really don't get it. I respect it and I don't judge it, but I really don't get it. So maybe the best way for me to understand why I don't like it or actually find out that I like it would be to try. So she's wow. asked me a few times to tie her and every time I'm like, yeah, like I'm kind of excited, but also a bit like, do I want to do that? What but you... also, would, also would I trust anyone else tying my mom? Yeah, so, that was my question. Like, oh, but then why not, uh, why not doing it for one of your shootings where it's like, you know, very chill and casual and we almost made it, but for some reason then it didn't happen. Yeah. And ever since like, I don't know. We should actually, like, yeah, let's do it. It'll come. Yes. We should. We should actually do it. She still asks for it regularly. Twenty-three. <laughs> that is one of the coolest things I've ever heard. That would be really cute, actually. <laughs> Mama on the website. I would love that. That is really cute. So, <laughs> when did you two meet? Oh wow! <laughs> that was a while ago. When was this? Four? Uh, it was four years ago. It was early two thousand eighteen. Like spring, spring of 2018, I had just moved back to Berlin after um, an extremely brutal ending of a previous relationship. And I kind of like crash landed in Berlin. Without your horse. With not, not with just <laughs> one anything. suitcase, basically. And I just crashed at like friends places and I was really a wreck. Like I was very lost and I was feeling very tired. I had also come out of like about eight years of like solo traveling and teaching and burnouts after burnouts. And then this very, very fa extremely failed relationship that really like broke my heart into a million pieces. So I was kind of like in, I don't know, like some sort of like wreck mode where I was just desperately looking for anything to get me excited again. Um, but I was way too tired to teach um, I was trying to slow down like the traveling um, and I had recorded like maybe five tutorials, like maybe some of the people listening here who are like really, really old, like followers of Shibari study. They probably remember like those videos were like out there for some people to access, but it was like self-produced, like super low quality. And it was only like five of my original harnesses because I didn't feel like legitimate to teach anything else. And it was also very experimental, basically, to like just put bondage classes online. Um, so I wasn't sure it was going to work. But I had this and still like one residency in Paris where I was teaching once a month. So I was pretty tight on like, you know, money and energy. Um, and then I met Anton. We met in a, ca in a cafe where he was. I was working. He was working there as a barista, time. and then slowly I stopped paying for the coffee, and then he started sitting at my table a little bit longer, and then eventually we went out for drinks once, and then yeah. we stayed together for three years. Three years. Oh yeah. my god! And pretty early on, like a lot of shit happened. Like basically, the one residency I had in Paris, um, the venue shut down. Like I was basically the kind of like godmother of this place, and then it turned out that the the founder and like leader of this community um, committed like certain number of uh, 
sexual assaults on very young new models. Um, so I kind of like pulled out and most of the staff pulled out and the venue just closed. So that was also over. And at the time we were like, I don't know, in the first like few months of our relationship with Anton and he saw me like freaking out and I was like, okay, I need to pick up this online classes thing. I'm exhausted by the community. I'm tired of all this shit coming out all the time. I'm tired of not being able to trust like community leaders. I'm not planning on becoming one and I'm tired of traveling alone and I need to settle somewhere in the world where I can build actual connections and relationships and like stabilize myself. But I'm, I cannot do this. I'm extremely chaotic. I have no, I, I, I always have like, I think powerful ideas, <laughs> but I haven't, yes. I cannot, like I can barely open my mail and, you know, pay my electricity bills. So building a company, founding an act, like founding an actual company and, and making all of this happen by myself, I really couldn't see it happening. So he just kind of naturally jumped in and started helping me out so much that we were both like working 14 hours a day on our laptops, just like trying to plan things and self-produce in our tiny little one room studio apartment and edit. And we were doing everything by ourselves. And after a while I told him like, I mean, it, you can't continue helping me out like this just for nothing. So if we build this company, then let's build it together 50-50. And if anything happens to our relationship, then at least it will be both of our baby and you will continue to be committed to it. Um, so very quickly, actually, like I think half a year after we were together or something, we just founded Shibari Study like together. It was quite quick, yeah. yeah. That was pretty quick. For the first year or so, I think we were traveling. We were traveling. Maybe one a lot. year, yeah. Uh, you were still teaching a lot. Um, I was trying to do my little gigs here and there. Yeah. But I, I guess it all came down like in the beginning because uh, like Sin was saying, it was just there are few harnesses on the platform and I really wanted to learn bondage. I was in all of these workshops. But I, I didn't want to teach you. I did not want you to teach me. No, no. So, so, so I was, I was left with the question. So how do I learn bondage or she buy without, without having to ask Sin directly to teach me all the basic knots to begin with. So I went online. I was, I was looking so, so that's how, how do I teach the TK? Like, how do I learn the TK? How do I do the single column, double column? And there was no real good information out there. So, and, and then I also thought, like, like this, this platform, like, m the, the problem that I have, like most people have in the beginning, um, there's a huge, huge hurdle for someone to have a curiosity for bondage. But then that hurdle of actually going to an in-person class as a, as, as a newbie, there, it, there, it, it's connected to so many, so many fears and stuff. Uh, that, that's, it's, it's a big one to jump. And to make that a little bit more accessible, and also for me to learn myself, I was like, "Hey, babe, we need to we need to like shoot an entire beginners course." Um, so we set up the studio. We were living in a one room apartment, and we blacked it all out, uh, set up the couple of lights, and I, I mean, resisted that one. <laughs> you really resisted that one. <laughs> I really but resisted that one. That was one. the beginning of everything. You know, really diversifying the content from. Why your... did you resist it? Because <laughs> it felt like such a huge responsibility to to teach beginners content online and for a really long time I had said like I will not teach beginners stuff and I will not teach advanced stuff on Shibari study like for a really long time that was kind of like my that's what I had decided and what made me feel like it was the safest thing to do and the most reasonable um but then like kind of Anton convinced me that it it could actually be much safer and much easier for a lot of people to just learn these things at their own pace and not just like go to a class, see a bunch of things, get overwhelmed and go home and have nothing to, you know, review the techniques and practice by themselves. So there was this aspect. And then I also realized there are so many awful teachers out there and there are so many places where people just don't have access to proper education like rope education and they just end up because they don't know better they just end up in these really terrible you know whatever like kind of self-proclaimed teacher environments and they also learn dangerous things and they can't even like review it afterwards so if they forgot like i noticed as as an instructor that if you teach like 10 ties to people over a weekend they might really remember one yeah 
And the other nine, they've seen it, they've done it with your help and supervision, but as soon as they go home, it, it's gone. Um, you know, like people are always, can I make a video, you know, while you teach, can I take pictures, can I make a video so I can review it at home? And I was like, wow, that's also not such a safe thing to do because you just recorded that thing that was taught in a candid way. So it wasn't taught in a way that specifically is made to be reviewed. You know what I mean? Yes. Uh, maybe I gave some specifications while I was teaching that they didn't record it, or maybe they recorded with the wrong angle or whatever. So I started to also rethink this and, you know, feel like, okay, maybe if I really put a lot of thoughts into this and we create it and produce it and like if I make the curriculum in a very specific way and then we release it in a platform where people have like unlimited access to the information so they can go again and again and again, then it actually might be as safe as in-person education not as a standalone, like I still really believe that it's important to have both, but it will act, at least give people some st a standard. So when they go out there and look for in-person education, if the teacher makes no sense or if the teacher doesn't explain things properly, like I think one of my best quality as a teacher is to dive really deep into the why and the how and not just like do it because I said so. And I think that was like that's something that's valuable to people when they go and look for uh, in-person education. So I started rethinking this and eventually accepted to do the beginner course. But I think it took me like half a year to plan. Like wow. I, I dragged it. I was like, I really need time. I need to feel very confident with what I'm teaching and how I'm teaching it. And that the curriculum evolves in a way that will really take people through everything they need to know so that they can do those basics safely and autonomously. It sounds like there's a huge responsibility that goes along with making beginner courses. Yes, absolutely. I mean, there's responsibility that goes along with just teaching anything that's like high risk, whether it's in person or online. Shabari study in many ways is an act of rebellion against a system that's in place for a long time. What were some of the fears that you had early on? Like you said that you were you didn't want to teach beginner stuff. You didn't want to teach advanced stuff. How did that play into it? I mean, I think the, these were more like internal fears. And I just had to review the reason why I was worried about this and, and, and eventually find out that they were valid worries, but there were ways around it. There were ways to make it actually safer and, and even like very beneficial um, and very complementary with what existed already. Um, but the if you're talking about a system that I was kind of rebelling against, I think I just felt like the, like the groundwork of trying to shift many paradigms of, you know, the bondage community. And I mean, you know, the, the, the bondage community doesn't exist in a vacuum. It still reflects like, you know, our, our, our world and our societies and the global system. And it felt very male dominated. It felt very stereotypical, you know, heterostereotypical, I cannot, hetero stereotypical. Um, it was, you know, just like when I started, it was 99%, maybe not, but at least in what I experienced of like older men tying very young new bottoms. Um, and I felt like that's, that's just not, it's just not fair. And it's, it, it's not, it, people talk about how it can be empowering, but I felt like it was, the empowerment was really very limited. It just kind of like enabled people to choose to live those experiences, but always in a way that continued to repeat probably their past traumas or their like general, like, you know, social trauma and social limitations um, and we were a few people trying to change that. Like I wasn't the only one, but we were a few handful of people really trying to like push for like, you know, female or at, at least like non-male, yeah. um, rigors and trying to become more, um, you know, respected and become more like skillful and talented to the point that we could start teaching and performing and like, you know, representing a different approach to bondage and people who were trying to also bring like different different disciplines into it and different intentions and make it more like you know like either spiritual or 
a bit more like political or, you know, like so on, so on and so forth. But it, it, I mean, I think you can ask this to anyone who was part of this movement, quote unquote, it was exhausting and we got really damaged also on the way. And it felt like, okay, we're creating a little bit of a different type of representation, but at what cost? And we're not really changing the, the roots of the problem because most of the people who would want to access this education can't yeah. because it's too expensive. I mean, if you go to a, a weekend workshop with, a, you know, like a renowned instructor, it, it's an enormous cost. Absolutely. And you have to travel and you have to, you know, it's super expensive tickets. And then, you know, okay, that's it. Then you had access to that one course. And you go back to maybe a community where there's nobody who's in the same mindset than you. So another very big motivation for Shibari study was also to like really make high quality education, not just in the way it's recorded, but the, the actual content and, and later on varied content by bringing other instructors and to make this accessible to as many people as possible. Like, I, I don't think we can, like, we cannot say that a safe is, uh, a space is always safe. We cannot say that it's accessible to everyone, but we try to make it as accessible to as many people as possible. And I felt like that was actually a much more powerful tool to, to do that and to try to open up this community and like create like deep change at the level of the people practicing, not just the level of the people who are already talented and skilled and renowned. Definitely. And, and really build like a whole other kind of current. Yeah. There was an interview where you were asked, what were some of your funny mistakes that you made? And you answered, none of them were funny in the beginning. And that really hit me. Yeah, I mean, being a... Um you know, female-bodied, um, very young person diving into this world with, a, like, I had a lot of ambition, but I also, I didn't know anything. I was a barely, like, you know, super young adult, so you're you're barely formed, like, your thoughts and your knowledge of yourself and the world around you are, are not very sharp yet. I was very naive. I was very influenceable. I was very damaged. And... I made choices and I allowed other people to make choices for me that were incredibly damaging and, and traumatic and really not funny at all. Like if we're talking about mistakes, like, whoops, I dropped someone one time. Even this is not funny. Of like, course. I don't think I like none of the mistakes I made that hurt other people or that hurt me were ever funny. Like it's, it's a pretty high risk discipline. It can be Absolutely. very, very beautiful and very helpful and very empowering and, and just bring so much joy and pleasure. But like everything high risk, when you do make mistakes, both physically or emotionally, they're, they're, they're profoundly like, you know, yeah. impacting. And taking the rope side out of it and looking at only the Shibari study company side, when you open the website right now, it looks like you're navigating a five-star hotel's website. It's amazing. <laughs> oh, stop it, Ren. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Listen, if I'm going to suck up to anybody, these are the people to do it to. But <laughs> I have a feeling that it wasn't always like this. How oh, different me. was it? And, you know, what were some things that you were worried about in the beginning that didn't really matter that much? You know, like making mountains out of molehills kind of thing. I think Anton can take over from here and like talk about the general aesthetics and organizational process of the early study under my under my my solo my solo yeah. governance. Yeah. What like was I it said, when you uh, came in? Chaos. <laughs> chaos. <laughs> un, un, unstructured chaos with so much potential though. It was already it, it we Survive study already had some really good following before, but it was it was not navigable. Um I don't know. I think I think it plays into the whole accessibility uh, part of uh, Shibari study. the The website needs to be uh, incredibly diverse. It has to be inclusive and definitely navigable. If you would now now at this point, we've we've really created a a pretty extensive library of of courses and 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 classes and different approaches and instructors and even like rope philosophies, if you can put it that way. And I also, yeah, to 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 make it 
accessible. Yeah. It, it has to look good. I mean, it started only with video tutorials, and then we went to live classes that we uh, streamed on a good week, two or three times a week. Um, and we're bringing out all these new features, and this all has to fit under one roof. And, yeah, it's, it's bringing structure into it. I love that. A couple years into the formation of Shabari Study, a global pandemic happens. How did the lockdowns shape Shabari study? So this changed everything because then, I, I mean, it's been years that I haven't really been in an, in an event. And I don't know. I think if we're talking just more generally without talking about Shibari study specifically, but how the pandemic impacted the bondage scene from what I, what I see online and what I hear when I, when I still do meet people who are in the, in the community or, and talk with them, is, you know, it. I think it did both some good and 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 a lot, and some bad. Like the bad, the, the bad, the the negative effects obviously were that, as Anton said, it it's the whole point of this practice is to connect with other people, physically, and emotionally, and like very directly. It's really like a tunnel through, you know, the walls, and all of a sudden people couldn't do this. They couldn't meet their partners, they couldn't go to events, they couldn't socialize. Um, so for people who are really into the the community and socializing aspect of Shibari, who love to go to rope jams and meet new people, like, you know, like-minded people and like fellow Kingsters, I think that was really, really tough and really difficult. And I don't think that Shibari Study and other online platforms uh, that do exist could bridge that gap. Like, we could still provide like knowledge, but we couldn't do anything about the lack of physical connection. Um, but I guess what it did in a more positive way is that I'm pretty sure it allowed a whole new generation of people who were curious and interested to start in a way that as frustrating as it might have seemed to them, really helped them build some knowledge before they went out there and met new people and trusted them with their you know, body and, and hearts. And by the time they could again, like go to jams and meet people, I feel like all the time they had to spend online on different platforms, learning probably actually helped them build like a lot more like of a clear idea of what they want and maybe what they don't want and how they want to approach it. Absolutely. Um, and I think maybe for some people who were already active, it gave them the opportunity to also like sit back, slow down, relax, because I think pretty much everyone knew to anything. But I feel like especially with Shibari, with the sort of like kind of addiction that it triggers in the very beginning, a lot of people, especially bottoms, become very, very greedy and bulimic very quickly. I was definitely one of those. And it's a lot of very young people. So if you start and you discover Shibari, you know, later in your adult life and you probably already have a partner that, you know, you trust and know that you're starting this with, you're, I think you're pretty okay. You know, even if things go wrong, you already have like a foundation of trust and love. But for a lot of very young people who just like kind of jump into this, very excited and still naive, you, you get yourself into really tricky situations. Um, and it doesn't necessarily go wrong, but it can go wrong very quickly. Absolutely. And I feel like the pandemic forced everyone to slow down. And as bad as it, it is and as bad as it was, I think there was also this positive aspect to it. That makes total sense. I was the same way where I got into it and it went very, very quick. And if I could tell myself anything, it would be slow down. But I don't know anybody that's been able to slow down. Do you think no. it's possible to tell someone that's just found rope bondage, hey, take it slow? I mean, wow. I mean, you can you can tell people to slow down. I think every everyone was told to slow down yeah. by someone else who's been doing it for a longer time and was like, hey, maybe you want to, you know, take baby steps. Um, I I think it comes down eventually to like also people's nature. Some people are more like wired for like self-protection than others. Um, and these people will listen. Uh, but if you're a bit more like, you know, impulsive and, and like have these like very intense drives, um, Shibari will definitely kind of activate this. It, 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 it provides so many positive things 
that it's difficult to see how easily, you know, how, how slippery of a slope it can be. Yes. Um, and, but, but I do think that maybe the most positive thing that not Shibari study, but the online, the general like online world around kink and bondage has done is provide so much like stories. Like there are so much things that are out there of like stories of people that went through something difficult public call, call outs, public like takedowns of venues and, and certain community leaders who were extremely toxic, um, people sharing their experience, people being much more transparent. There, there's, there's not really any gatekeeping left. There is maybe a little bit in, in certain like, you know, schools or groups of people, but mostly I feel like everyone has kind of like agreed to go for the, you know, like let's share as much as we can. Definitely. And, there's so much knowledge out there and there are so many people willing to share their mistakes and share what happened to them, but also share what they have done to others. I feel like there's more accountability and, and this is more accessible now. That makes total sense. So maybe the combination of all this being out there, just a click away and people in your direct surrounding being like, hey, slow down, probably has brought more people to reflect than 10 years ago or 15 years ago. Where are we going with Shabari study? What is on the horizon? What's happening? What's happening? Um, Shibari study. We've got the podcast now, obviously, which is a great feature that we're really excited for. Um, and then there's the blog, which we're working on. We've been working on the blog for more than a year and we're hoping for it to uh, finally be out there in the world that we can share all of this great content that's being written. Um, what kind yeah, of stuff like is it. being written? Oh goodness gracious! It it <laughs> ranges. It ranges. I've got a spreadsheet that, that that's probably at least 50, 50 lines of great, great topics. It goes from how to start with bondage, how to how to be a bottom without uh, without experience, and how to navigate tying with somebody new. It goes from different knots, uh, the approaches of different TKs. We've got uh, the different styles. We've got the history of uh, Shibari. Um, we're hoping to release release all of these uh, articles in the very beginning, and then yeah, we're going to grow from there. It's it's really exciting because this is one of the few features that we can really put out there, and it's this is free information uh, that we're, we're we're really bringing out there, and it's it's really exciting to finally have reached a point where we can where we can create this 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 information hub that, yeah. that everybody can find finally access. That's so really that's, exciting. That's I the, feel like the last year, the, the last year, you were kind of like setting up the ground for a bunch of new things, like even the Discord um, um, channel that you you kind of, I don't know, like it, this this went so fast. Like we were having a a team meeting, and we're like, how can we actually like foster an actual community where people can, you know, exchange and like share their progress? It's so sometimes so difficult on Instagram or like social media for people to share kink related like images or 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 even like text and also ask questions and ask questions and have a better access to like teachers responding to them um so i think that was kind of the beginning of us realizing that shibari in itself as a product was something that we had achieved like we've recorded i don't know how many videos are on the website now but i think it's like 700 plus. It's like around yeah. 700 videos there are so many different teachers. Like this was kind of our goal from two years ago was to like move away from just, this is a website where you will find classes from Gorgon from, you know, to this is a website where you can find just general bondage education from different perspective, even have like, you know, the same things being taught by different people from different angles. So that was kind of the previous goal that I think we've pretty much achieved there's still a lot we want to do to bring even more like variety to the content and also more like diversity in the approaches and 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 the teachers and bottoms being represented but we've pretty much like achieved the the grounding of this goal and we started to feel like it's not really enough if we want this to be complete and i i don't know i feel like at some point we basically had Kind of two choices. One choice was how do we continue producing content online that would be free and just also a different format in order to bring like 
also different perspectives and different information because we've had people that I don't know, I believe are like wonderful teachers, but not necessarily of the technique, but like Anton said, or the history or just general like reflection around those topics, um, but that didn't feel like they had any like technical content they would want to teach on video. Um, so like one option was this, like, let's go for just different formats online. And the other option was, I guess at some point, maybe we, sh we should open a venue. And pretty much immediately as this thought came up, we were like, no, like this, like that would be very destructive to the general ecosystem. And also it's just not what we want to do. And it would come with this sense of like, you know, Shibari study instructors. Like, you know, when people say they're Shibari, like if, if we talk about someone teaching on our, our website as a Shibari study instructor, it just meant, it just means they have taught something on Shibari study, but we're not affiliated. Um, you know, they're, they're not representing a specific style or a school of thought. Um, and that's something that was very important for, for me, at least curating the content is to really give people freedom to teach whatever they, they would teach anyways. And, you know, it would come with like this whole thing of maybe like certificates and something rigid. And we really didn't want to do this. So we completely shut down this idea and decided to really stay and, you know, in our, in our line, which is online and then just expand from there. Um, and like from this point on, basically Anton and, and the team came, like they came up with the discord idea and the podcast idea and the blog idea and whatever will come next. But I think the future plans of Shibari study are to try, I don't know, maybe now I'm speaking for myself, but try and not change it too much, actually, just like continue to follow our original mission, which is just providing as much education as we can and make it accessible to as many people as we can. That's really like the core mission of Shibari study. How can we just spread the knowledge and that's it. And then people will do what they will do with it. And our only responsibility is to facilitate the transmission of this knowledge. Um, so I don't know. I think it's important that we find a, a balance that, you know, there's enough growth that the project sustains itself. Um, but without starting to just look for new ways to expand. And, and I think that has been also a really interesting like aspect of this entrepreneurial journey is, I mean, obviously it, 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 it is a capitalistic venture because it is an entrepreneurial venture. It's, it's a project that we, we were growing and as it grows, it generates more profit and more reach and the community is growing. Um, so how to find a balance with this fact and accepting it, which that's something I, I resisted also a lot in the beginning. Um, it made me feel very conflicted because it, it goes against some of my values. Um, so understand that this is what we're doing, but then really still try to infuse it as much as possible with our values that are to not go nuts on this basically. And, and, and try as much as possible to never like lose sight of what the original mission is and get too greedy or too crazy. So I think Anton has been working mostly with the team on improving what we have and just make what we had from the beginning just better, look better, bigger catalog, you know, more diverse format of delivering that information, but not divert from this. So I don't know. I, I don't think there is a crazy future for Shibari study, basically just no. an improvement of what we have. No, there, there, there's no crazy future. And like the formula is set. Once the blog is out, that's it. That's Shibari study as it is and will continue to be. I think what people have to look forward to now is great content. It's performances. It's Oh, we shot two days with Kinoko-san. Great, great instructor this time. Yeah. I think we our got... job from now on is just to continue inviting the right bring, people. Bring good people on board. And exactly. Great content for everyone. Exactly. That's, That's pretty it. much it, which is already a challenge in itself because I personally wouldn't trust like just anyone um, mm. to teach on our platform. Mm. We're pretty selective and 
it's a difficult selection because there are so many criterias. Like we want it to be technically, um, you know, high level. We want it to be also like great humans that we love and trust and, so and, and we, we just like who they are and how they want to present what they're presenting. Um, so there's like a, you know, like kind of a human skill aspect. There's a technical skill aspect. There is, do they want to do this? There are also a lot of people who are like, no, I don't want to be a Shibari study instructor. That's not the way I want to teach. And of course we respect that. There are people who feel like they're running out of content or insecure to teach their content in this way. There are just so many like aspects that basically our biggest challenge that will always remain a challenge is continue to create like beautiful content with beautiful people um, and and try to not produce crap content just because we need to create content. Mm -hmm. So I guess these, this will remain forever the number one challenge of this project. I don't think anybody has ever taken the word crap content and Shabari said and put it together. I mean, nothing you two have made <laughs> has been anything but spectacular. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you too. Thank you so much for spending the day with me. Um, I learned so much from both of you. Seriously. You're both inspiring. Thanks. So good to catching up. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Fred. You're welcome. It was really good chatting with you.